No question, this is the most difficult service I've ever had to do as a pastor. None of us want to be faced with it, but here we are. How do we deal with the death of a loved one? Especially the death of those that we look at and we say they had so much more life to live. I think these hours are some of the most difficult we face. I want you to know it's perfectly normal to mourn the loss of a loved one. We see it throughout the Bible. Not all of us will mourn the same way, but that's okay. Some cry, some don't. Some are quiet, some have to talk it out. Some stay still, some are busy. But no one should look at another and be critical of their way. We all respond differently. Don't be guilty of judging another's heart by how they grieve. For example, first service was very hard for me. You may not see that same emotion, but it doesn't mean that I'm not tore up. We're all created different. We all express our emotions differently, but there's one thing that I hope all of us will do, and that is that we would communicate one with another. No one should feel left alone. No one should turn inwardly and be alone with their emotions. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We get the comfort we need through two main means. Number one, we are comforted by God Himself through the person of the Holy Ghost, who is called the Comforter. We commune with God through His Word. Secondly, we are to comfort one another as the body of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9-11 through 11 say, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even also as ye do. Because Jesus died for us, those who will receive Christ as their Savior, will never have to experience God's wrath. Now that's enough to be joyful about, no matter our circumstances. And the passage I just cited teaches we are eternally secure. It says, whether we wake or sleep. Meaning this, whether we live or whether we die, if we are in Christ, we will live together with Him. And nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Then we are told this, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Knowing Christ and having the security that when we belong to Christ, 
we will be with God for all eternity is to be a great comfort to us when we lose a loved one. To comfort one another means we strengthen our minds when we are depressed. We strengthen the feeble. It's when we console each other and give new vigor to our spirits. It's when we cheer each other and relieve each other from depression and trouble. To edify one another means we build each other up. Even through the death of a loved one. We encourage one another and embolden each other in the Lord. And During times like these, we must first comfort one another if we are going to edify one another. I want to encourage you to allow those around you to have a good cry if they need it. There is nothing unmanly about crying. It's a God-given emotion. And He saves our tears. Would you be an ear which will listen? Will you be a shoulder that others can lean on? And then edify. Comfort and then build up. Don't jump to trying to build somebody up until you first are a comfort. And we're guilty of that sometimes because we want to say, hey, you need to, you need to get with it. Allow the process of mourning to take place. We've been separated for a season from Grayson Young. He's a dear brother in the Lord. One of the greatest dangers in times like these is becoming angry at God. If you become angry at God, it will lead to bitterness. And that bitterness will lead to you dropping out. We have to trust God's timing in all things. We must learn to trust in God's sovereignty. We must be assured that God knows the end from the beginning. That His ways are higher than our ways. And that tells me that it's not always going to make sense to us. It doesn't make sense. No parent wants to see their child go into the ground. It doesn't make sense to our minds, but we can trust that God knows what is best. Grayson's passing is very heartbreaking to all that knew him. But understand this morning that God knew Grayson's name. Grayson was God's child. God knew the day that He wanted Grayson with Him in glory. The song says that God counts the stars one and all. He knows how much sand is on the shores. He sees every sparrow that falls. He made the mountains and the seas. He's in control of everything, of all creatures great and small. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I can't tell you what's in store. I don't know a lot of things. I don't have all the answers to the questions of life. But I know in whom I have believed. And He knows my name. Every step that I take, 
Every move that I make, every tear that I cry, He knows my name. When I'm overwhelmed by the pain and can't see the light of day, I know I'll be just fine because He knows my name. Please take comfort in knowing that God is in complete control and nothing happens by accident with God. God is never taken by surprise. Grayson knew in whom he believed. And he's now enjoying the presence of the Lord. He's entered into his rest. His faith is now sight. And if the Lord wills, we'll talk about that tonight. And to us who are here mourning our loss, let's remember that God knows every tear that we cry. Though we can be overwhelmed by the pain of it all, we can be certain that God knows our name as well. He has not left us comfortless. His grace is always sufficient. And His mercies are new every morning. Would you look with me please in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 this morning? Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I want to give you some thoughts from the first four verses. So let's read verses 1 through 4 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. We see first of all that a good name is better than precious ointment. Precious ointment was very expensive, very fragrant, and it was never used flippantly. When Hezekiah, in his pride, showed the king of Babylon his kingdom, one of the things that he took him by was the precious ointment. That's how valuable it was. The precious ointment is mentioned in Psalm 133 as the ointment which ran down Aaron's beard, even to his skirts, anointed as the high priest. And of course, we know Christ was anointed with precious ointment shortly before he was crucified. It was very costly. It was used for those in the highest of positions. Kings were anointed with very costly ointment. And it exalted them and their position in the land. And by it, they were known as the one chosen by God. This fragrance was unmistakable. It would fill the room. And all who came in contact with those who had been anointed with this fragrant and costly ointment, knew something very important had taken place in that person's life and probably something life-changing had transpired. 
And as important as this ointment was in anointing kings and priests, we are told here that a good name is better than precious ointment. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And I just want to say this morning, Grayson Young had a good name. He was a fragrance that filled the room. You knew something important had happened in his life. And you knew something life-changing had taken place. And what that was, was this. Grayson knew the Lord. He entered into a relationship with the Lord, which changed his life forever. Knowing the Lord is what transformed him into the man we love. Grayson was very special. And it's not often that we meet a young man like Grayson. Mike and I were talking between services and here's Grayson coming to college. No oversight. A time when many people would make havoc of their life. And yet he was here in the house of God. I was able to counsel with Grayson on several occasions. He always wanted to make sure his heart was right with God. He was never bitter towards anybody else. He was careful of that. But he wanted a right relationship with those around him. And if you're harboring bitterness towards someone, please get that right before it's too late. In our family, we say you just need to live with no regrets. When I say goodbye to my parents, I want to say goodbye on good terms. That might be the last time I see them. And we should be that way with everyone. I never heard Grayson say an ill word to anybody. I never heard anything inappropriate come out of his mouth. I'm not saying he was sinless. I'm just saying that was his testimony to me. I always enjoyed our fellowship. Of course, who could have known that the last time we would fellowship together was be on the back table at anniversary supper last week. Well, you just never know. And I remember how we joked that he managed to get to our table. Of course, Grayson had the, one of the greatest beards of all time. I didn't mind being around him. He made me look better. (laughs) You know, I appreciated how Grayson took time to teach my son, Carson, the violin. That's the other violin you see next to Grayson's seat. And you know, Grayson never wanted to take money for the lessons. I believe he was happy knowing that he was able to invest his talent in another person. And I'm sorry, Carson, that that got cut short. And I think you all would have to agree that our services were enriched by him playing. Grayson not only took time to invest his talents in others, but he also took time to invest himself personally in the lives of others on a personal level. 
which included a financial level. He was a giving man. And as has already been stated, I believe he was an example to our teen boys and certainly our young adults. Justin DeGarmo said during Sunday school, he was proof that you can go to a secular college and still stand for your faith. He went out of his way to ensure people could be here by giving them rides when they needed them. And I watched as Grayson would share scripture with other people that would listen. I think some details I would not be at liberty to share at this point, but I can tell you this, he was genuinely concerned for others. He was concerned about their walk with God. And please don't think for an instant that the words that I'm saying about Grayson are posthumous praise. This, this is who he was to me. These are true words. They're heartfelt. He was a man that I highly respect and I will greatly miss. So well known was his testimony, even Brother Tom Rickard reached out late last night and said, hey, us folks here in Wyoming, we're, we're praying for the family. We're grieving for the loss of Grayson. Let the church know, let his family know that we loved him and that he loves us. Even the Perkins reached out yesterday who got to sit with him that Sunday last week I'm thankful God allowed me to know Grayson I'm blessed that God led him to our church during his college years and he certainly was a blessing to this church body Psalm 92 13 says those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God and as a young man Grayson learned to plant himself in the house of the Lord and as a result he flourished And just in case there's anybody here who's not saved and you don't understand what all this is about, I don't want you to think for a moment that Grayson's good works and what he did was somehow the basis of his salvation. Grayson was saved by the grace of God because he placed his faith and trust in Christ alone for his salvation. He surveyed the wondrous cross. And he concluded that Christ purchased his salvation by going in his place to the cross and shedding his precious blood that we might be redeemed. And he had faith in that. In the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. Grayson was a God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He didn't do good to be saved, but he did good because he was saved. In Christ we are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we can praise the Lord this morning that by the grace of God, Grayson's life demonstrated a life that was hid with God in Christ. And that brings me comfort. I have complete peace this morning that Grayson is enjoying the presence of the Lord and that one day I will see him again in glory because I too have been born again by the power of God. Nothing will jeopardize this truth. And this is what separates true Christianity from religion. 
We have a personal relationship with the Lord. We know that we know Him. It's not based upon our goodness. but It's based upon Christ's merits and what He has done for us. How's your name today? Is it better than precious ointment? I want you to just consider if we were up here talking about you this morning, what would we be able to say about your life? Are you living in such a way that if you draw your last breath today, others would be confident in your faith, in your walk with God? There may be some of you, you're, you're mighty faithful to the house of God, but you're just playing church. I want to consider the rest of this text with the time we have remaining. Uh, notice that when we take the beginning of verse 1 in conjunction with the end of verse 1, what is being said is this. The day of death is better than the day of one's birth. There are many Christian paradoxes in the Bible. These verses give us some of those. How is it that the day of death is better than the day of one's birth? Well, I believe there are at least two reasons for the child of God. Number one, this world is a mess. Number two, as God's children, when we die physically, our spirits are united with the Lord. Throughout Ecclesiastes, we see how Solomon gave his heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things under heaven. He said in chapter 1 and verse 14, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Solomon saw it all, and he experienced it all. All that life had to offer. And he concluded this, it's all vanity. It's all emptiness. It's all vexation of spirit. And in that sense, Solomon here, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, says the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. And I believe if we would just pause and think about it, we know verse 1 to be true. I don't know about you, but I rejoiced when my children were born. But I remember a sobering thought coming over me as I held Sydney in my arms for the first time. And I thought, this day of rejoicing will be turned to a day of sorrow. She would grow up and she would experience what sin is and the hurt of life and how this world is and that breaks my heart. This world is sin sick. It is full of wickedness. And on this earth we find the result of sin and it's ugly. We see crimes against humanity. We see all manner of wickedness. In light of Christ and eternity, I want to tell you this morning, there's nothing upon this earth that is worth desiring. Hanging on to none of that counts. It's one corruption after the other. It's under a curse and it's full of death. And without Christ, there are none that will do good. No, not one. Before we came to Christ, we all went astray. We had all fallen short of the glory of God. 
And we see the awful result of sin throughout the Bible and all around us. And when we come to terms with this, we will learn to set our affections on things above and not on the things of the earth. And if we just settle it that the means by which God has chosen to take us out of this sinful world and unite us with Him is through death, then we too will conclude that the day of our death will be better than the day of our birth. That might be deep water for some of you, I don't know. But Paul said this, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And I want to tell you this morning, Grayson would not come back to this earth if he could. It is through death that we will say goodbye to sorrow, to toil, to labor, to our bodies breaking down, to heartache, to tears, to sin, to corruption, to all which defiles, and even to death itself. 1 Corinthians 15.26 says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Grayson has experienced the ultimate victory. The last enemy has been destroyed. And we ought to hunger for that day. I'll say more tonight. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Verse 2 continues the theme here by saying, It's better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. And this makes no sense for those who will not take the time to understand it. But consider what is being said here. Why is it better to go into the house of mourning? Because it is appointed unto man wants to die. Outside of that blessed generation which will be taken out of here at the Lord's appearing, we will all die. And when you go into the house of mourning, because of the death of a loved one, listen now, it is meant to make us consider our own end. That's what it says, for this is the end of all men. What is the day of their death? Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And when we go into the house of mourning, because of the death of another, it is meant to cause us to consider our own mortality. And on the other hand, if all we ever do is go to the house of feasting, we'll never be confronted, we'll never be brought face to face with what's going to happen to us when we die. When we go into the house of mourning, the Bible says here that the living will lay it to heart. Those who care about what happens after this life will consider their latter end. They will examine their life. And they will seriously contemplate how near their own death is. They will meditate on the vanity of life and they'll make preparations for their own death. In the family Bible notes, it states this, God is continually opening to the living the house of mourning that they may enter and consider what awaits them. The heart of the wise will willingly dwell there. It is only the foolish who seek by noisy mirth. We might can just describe that as pleasurable amusements. It is only the foolish who seek by noisy mirth 
to exclude from their minds all thoughts of death and judgment to come. Why don't you come back at a convenient season when I have time for you? Verse 3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. And it is through sorrow that our hearts are made better by turning us from worldly lust towards that which is really important in this life, and that is our eternal spiritual condition. And sorrow will cause us to focus and to zero in on the seriousness of the end of our own lives. And God intends for this to turn us to Him. Because He's the only source of everlasting peace. He's the only source of everlasting life. He's the only source of everlasting blessing. And finally, we see there in verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The house of mourning is a schoolhouse which we all must learn in. And if we learn our lesson, it makes the heart wise. And we learn that one day we too will be in eternity. But the fool will continue on in their own pleasures. They do not take time to consider their own end. It is the fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. They refuse the lesson God is trying to teach them. They will drown out their own sorrows by pleasures. Or they dismiss the idea of God at all. And they scoff at the idea of life after death. So as we mourn Grayson's death, I wonder, is there anyone here who has yet to consider your own mortality? Are there any here who are uncertain of their eternal destination? We can all agree on this. Grayson's passing is a reminder to all of us. Life is short. And we get but one shot. None of us know the day of our passing. But here we are today mourning the loss of a young man. I believe most of us are in the house of mourning today for our friend and our brother in Christ. We are all being confronted this morning with the reality that death is the end of all men. For any here this morning that are without Christ, you are being confronted with whether or not Christ will be your Savior. He's your only hope of heaven. God uses death to cause us to consider our own end. There would be nothing more fitting than that somebody would find life through Grayson's death. If you were to die today, would you be with the Lord? Do you hear what I'm asking? We're not promised tomorrow. If you don't know, you can get that settled today by crying out to God for salvation. For those of us here in Christ, we are being confronted with the fact that one day we will stand before God. And all that's going to matter at the end of this life is what we have done for Christ. If you're a child of God, 
If God calls you home today, are you ready to stand before your maker and give an account? Make your life count for God. Serve Him while you still have breath. Life is a very precious gift from God. Make it count for His glory. If there's anybody here that's not saved, we're going to bow and pray in just a minute. I'd ask you to come. Let me know. We won't embarrass you. But we'll show you from the Bible how you can know Christ as your Savior. Maybe some here this morning, you need to refocus your life. You too need to kneel before God. Maybe some just need to find God's comfort through this trying time. You need to bow before God as well. But all of us here this morning can pray for Grayson's family. We can pray for one another and our church family. However the Lord spoke to you, let's pray.